Welcome to Chicago's Bravest Stories. This episode brought to you by PSP Academy for your CPAT training. Follow us on social media, our Instagram and Facebook page at trainwithpsp.com. All right. Um, well, first off, we want to we want to thank our sponsor, Dakota 94. Um, you can see them at dakota94.com. Um, they're located at 54, or I'm sorry, 5304 West Devon. And uh, just so you guys know, we've been hitting them as often as we can. Uh, Wednesdays is first responder night, so they'll give you half off. Um, it's a great place, great venue, and um, they're just awesome people every every one of them we've the food there's amazing yeah yeah the food's great um i'm trying to think what we had those nachos that we had the other day those were out of this world ridiculous plus the bison burger kevin you ever have a bison burger (laughs) i've had a bite of a bison from time to time (laughs) while it was running down the field (laughs) no but her husband was upset (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, with that, we'll. Uh, right. This is uh, we are very, very lucky to have with us. Uh, I, I to this at this moment, I still can't even believe that we were able to grab them. Well, we we had a little change in schedule. Uh, we had to uh, call an audible today. We're gonna have uh, Jenny Yokus and Mike Manchester on next week, and um, we have a pretty amazing guest uh, that really helped us out in the bind. We can't thank you enough. Uh, with us today is Kevin Casey, uh, retired firefighter of the Chicago Fire Department. Um, Kevin, how long, how many years you had on? I, I had 33 years, 33, 33 glorious years. <laughs> okay. Uh, Probably our first guest to have that uh, has an Actors Guild card, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I never had so much fun with my clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you come on? Uh, 1978. 1978. Uh, what 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 were you doing before you got on the fire department? I, I, I was a, a sprinkler fitter at the time for nine years. Uh, I started in 1969. It was a wonderful job. It's it's a it's a union job. My good fortune to get it. Uh, my mother woke me up when I was 16 and said, "Would you like to get out of bed to take a test?" <laughs> and I said, "Mom, I would take the day off of school for an enema." <laughs> And uh, little did I know, but, you know, at 17 years of age, I wound up with a job that uh, my father would have loved to have had. Uh, Came with a pension and health care and all that stuff is unknown to a a relatively ignorant, bad student uh, (laughs) at at that point in time. My good fortune. So what was, how did you wind up applying for the fire department? You... You were sprinkler fitter. How did the whole fire department? Um, I know you're. You have uh, four brothers that were on the job. Uh, there was four, there was four of us. Four of you. Yes. Uh, my uncle was a fireman, and uh, uh, he always had a smile on his face. He had ten children. He lived out of town the whole time. What a wonderful guy! Raised him up by the lake uh, in McHenry, Illinois. Uh, and we also, uh, we, we got to know a great number of them. Uh, when my father got sick, uh, 1972, a fellow named Tom O'Donnell, uh, who eventually became my captain, then a chief, but uh, actually a legend on our job, uh, he found out that uh, 
My father, uh, Jimmy Casey, was sick, and he had a bunch of kids, and uh, he came over to ask us if we needed uh, a little bit of work. So he took my brother Tommy and my older brother Pat and my other younger brother Bobby and uh, took them painting. And uh, yeah, he and they, you know, they they left quite an impression on us. You know, they told us how much fun it was. They talked about it like it was an adventure, which it truly is. And uh, uh, I would say that that was a a very big impression. So that's what gave you the bug. So just hearing the stories while you guys were painting and all that. Oh, he was, <laughs> they were funny, and they were all firemen. I mean, Joe Flashing, uh, John Norton, these were incredible characters, uh, larger than life, uh, warm, uh, <laughs> quite quite colorful characters. <laughs> Did they take you through the process of getting on? Did they say, hey, Kevin, there's a test coming up, we want you to go on? Was it Navy Pier at the time? No, no, no. They, you know, they just made mention that the test was coming up, and they thought it would be something that we'd all like. And uh, all four of us took the test in 1973. And where did you go? Where did you have to go for that? You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking it was Lane Tech. Okay. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, everything gets a little cloudy when you're, <laughs> when you get a little cloudy. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, we all took the test, and uh, we we wound up doing very well. I wound up 76 out of 17,000. But you asked a a young guy to do a physical test when he was uh, in pretty good physical condition. Okay, so you scored well. They called you up. Do you remember uh, walking in the door for the very first time going to the academy? <laughs> yeah, we were going to be in there 30 days. You couldn't cram another piece of knowledge into this. <laughs> and, you know, A 30-day academy? Oh, 30 days. I knew everything by the time I left, you know. and Was that at the Quinn? Uh, yes, it was. And uh, it was before there was the strike. And uh, the, the, the main thing about it was is... Uh, I think the city was kind of nervous that they may strike. So uh, the thought was, uh, I need to get a whole bunch of uh, young firemen in here and possibly avert the strike. And uh, and I think that was the thought anyway. You thought that that's why you had a 30-day academy? They were, they were kinda... Oh, before that, it was 90 days. Before that, it was 90 days. And uh, my cousin came on in uh, 1977. And uh, his was three months, 90 days, and uh, I was in there 30 days. I couldn't get another piece of uh, information, and I wound up at uh, Ashland and uh, Haddon in 1978, October 16th. And in 12 hours, I found out what I didn't know about the fire department. Uh, we, We had a fire the first evening. You had a fire on your very first day on the job? Yeah, thank God. And like, walk us through that. How, how'd that go for you? Good, bad? Where were you? Oh, everything they said would happen in the academy happened that yeah. day. Oh, my Lord. They put you on the pipe on your first day? Well, myself and uh, 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 
a little uh, Puerto Rican fella who was tough as nails, and uh, it was a basement fire, and uh, there was four of us on the rig, and uh, we went down the back stairs and uh, pushed the door open, and they promised us air down there, and there was no air down there. And uh, we jumped in, and uh, there was an older Italian guy, uh, Billy Biancolano, and uh, he always kept a cigar in his mouth that wasn't lit. <laughs> and uh, I said, Billy, I says, it's really shitty down here. And he says, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, well, when, when is, it, is it time to get out? He says, when this cigar starts smoking by itself, he says, it's time to leave. <laughs> in any event, uh, the next thing, uh, you know, I grabbed a hold of something that was kind of flashing in front of me, and it was the electric, so I got a wee bit of a shock. And <laughs> Then there was a fire burning lazily in the corner, and I put it out, and then I smelled it. it I put out the gas meter, and uh, I could smell the smoke, and I thought, oh, it's going to blow up on my first day. I'm going <laughs> to be dead. Anyway, pretty much everything that they warned us about went wrong the first day, but... Uh, Kevin, can you explain to people, like, your equipment back on your first day? Like, what kind of gear did you have? What did you bring with you? Um, you know, did you... It was a canvas coat, a leather helmet, canvas gloves, no mask, and uh, <laughs> a set of rolling balls that you could roll on. You know, and that's what you crawled on. And uh, and that's basically how Three -quarter boots. the job was done. Three-quarter boots, yeah. Okay. So you, you really didn't have protection from heat and fire. There was not really much protection between you and, and actual fire. Well, uh Three days later, a, a young uh, a fireman who was older, his name was Wally Lynch, he explained the whole thing to me in about an hour. We had a fire. It was on the second floor. So I went up to the second floor, and we're waiting for, uh, we're waiting for the water. And there's a window right in front of me. So uh, he just reached up and smashed the window out before we even got water in the hose. And I thought, well, what the hell is he doing that for? Anyway... So the hose got hard, it filled with water, and uh, he said, are you ready? I said, I guess so. And he pushed the door open, and it was like black cotton candy down to about two feet off the ground. And he said, jump in. And I said, okay. So I jumped in, and he says, do you feel the heat? I said, yeah. I, so he said, where's it at? I says, it's right over here on the right side of my face. He said, let's go that way. So we crawled that way. And I said, should I turn on the hose? He said, no, not yet. And I heard all this smashing. This giant Polish fellow jumped over our back and smashed all the dining room windows out and pulled down the drapes. Hmm. And uh, there was a Japanese red dot in front of me right up near the ceiling. And the more windows I heard smashing and the more thumping I heard on the roof, the smoke lifted a little bit, and that red dot got more and more orange. I said, should I open up the pipe yet? He said, no, not yet. And this is your officer that you... No, he was just another fireman. Okay. 
Wally Lynch, he was one of the greats. <laughs> so, and he laid on my back. Wally wasn't circumcised. I can tell you that because his pecker was right on the cheek of my fanny, <laughs> and I could feel it. In any event, though, but but as warm as could be. He looked like the Gordon's fisherman. Big nose and a head of gray hair. But a wonderful, wonderful man who took me through this. And his, his arm was on my back, and his face was right next to me. He said, it's just a little bit farther, kid. And we crawled a little bit farther, and now the flame's coming out through the doorway. And I said, should I turn on the pipe yet? He says, not until we make the turn, kid. We made the turn, whipped the fire, the line around the ceiling, and right in front of me there was a white light, and it. Uh, I said, uh, "What's that?" He says, "Now." He says, "After you whip it around for about two minutes," he said, "I want you to shoot it out the window and put it on fog." And as soon as I did, my ears got cool because it was blowing all the smoke and heat right out the window. That was that white light that I was looking at. Anyway, afterwards, there was four little puppies in a drawer, and he picked one up and put it in my pocket, and he said, that was your first rescue. And he says, I want you to know something. This is what I would say, and that is just that uh, he could have taken the pipe from me and put that fire out all by himself. Instead, he made a man out of me rather than took it and said, you see the big kid, he can't do it. That's the gift that was given to me. It's not given to everybody. Yeah. Wow. Is that kind of what you did with newer guys later on in your career? Oh, every opportunity you have, you have to explain to somebody, it's okay to be scared because we all dirty our pants from time to time. It's not a big deal. I want you to know how important this job is and how well it can be done. What, prior, before we walked in here, we were, we were next door, and you were telling us a story um, when you went down to the academy and kind of the speech that you gave the kids. I, I know uh, that was something I, I, I was so intrigued with the story, I didn't want to stop you, but I kind of, because I wanted you to tell it when we got here, if you don't mind going through that again... It would be something that I think everybody should hear. It's kind of an important message, and coming from you, I think it it's even that much more important. Well, uh, I retired in 2012, and everybody said, uh, what is it that you miss? I said, you know, 10 times a day, somebody asked me for a hand. I said, if there's anything that makes you a bigger guy, it's the very fact that you can help someone. Uh, you show up and, you know, they got carbon monoxide thing is going off or the smoke detector or somebody's mom is sick. I said, when you walk in, I said, we all got moms. I said, for heaven's sakes, let's just deal with it, you know. Uh, and if I don't know what to do, I promise that I will call someone who will know what to do and I will not leave until you feel okay. But at the end of our diet, uh, my thought was just that uh, the purity of our profession, and it is our profession, is in the performance of our duty. 
And at that moment, we are all perfect. And that is what I want everyone that does this job to accept and believe. Uh, it's just uh, it's one of the last of the noble professions. Well, um, there's one person that we're missing here, and that's Steve Hurling from Engine 68. And he remembers you telling him that a speech that you gave him saying, this you put in for this house, this is your neighborhood, this is the neighborhood you chose to work in, these are your people, and you need to take care of those people. Um, our still district, you know, uh, when people uh, speak about, you know, uh, what happens when you go into a fire? What if it's going to fall down? What if it's not? You know, years back, most of the people that came into this business were tradesmen. And if I built the building, I damn sure know why it's not going to fall down. And it's not going to fall down now. And the reason it's not is because of the way it was built. Uh, I get into all of these houses. I go into Mrs. Murphy's house. You know, Mrs. Murphy shit her pants. I'm so sorry she did. But you know what? When you show up, if Mrs. Murphy's on the ground and there's a cookie in her bed, you grab it and you throw it in the garbage can. Wipe her ass like it was your own. You know what? She didn't want to shit her pants. And when you do, you'll get a kiss and a piece of chicken when you leave. And you know what you did? You did something sweet for somebody that they could not do for themselves. But when you walk into Mrs. Murphy's house, assume you're going to rob it. <laughs> Take a look at the back door. Find out how you get in and out of this building. What is this building laid out like? I, I mean, uh, uh, and when there's a new building being built, in your neighborhood, your still district, your kingdom. Go in and find out if it's lightweight construction. That tells you a little bit about how long it will last. If you go there at 2 in the morning and it's puffing smoke out of everywhere, assume that it might fall, but break a window and jump in and give it a good quick whack, and more than likely, you're going to do everything perfect and go home. Uh, if you show up at a bowling alley at 3 o'clock in the morning and there's smoke, po or smoke uh, puffing out of the bricks, somebody's trying to burn it down. Let them. Mr. Casey, so you, how many years did you put in on the job? Uh, 33. 33. God bless. How, he did bless me. <laughs> how, how would you describe your first couple years? Uh, I was... Uh, I had a fire the first four days I was on the fire department. That's a, a gift that few people get. And um, your first your first assignment was where? Kevin? It was at Ashland and Haddon Street, uh, Engine Thirty. It was a cute little place, uh, really mixed up neighborhood. I mean, uh, the prettiest Polish girls on the planet walked by the front door, you know, every dumpling they ate turned into tits and ass, and yellow hair and skin like porcelain and sky blue eyes. I'm, oh, my God. And uh, there was uh, Puerto Rican fellas and Mexicans that moved into the neighborhood, and they weren't getting along. Uh, there was a high-rise right on the corner, and it was uh, mostly African-American, uh, uh, 
Bosworth and Greenview was all, uh, oh, I'm going to say it. It's probably not the right thing to say, but they're hillbillies. They're uh, uh, you can poor, say hillbillies. poor Southern whites. Uh, Erie Street was all Italian, and when you went down the street, down Augusta Boulevard, it was uh, Ukrainians. And uh, we just had a, a tremendously uh, a mixed bag, and uh, and it was quite colorful. How many years did you stay there? I was there eighteen months. Then we had the strike. Nobody was uh, nobody was assigned out of the academy. Okay. So. Was it more a detail then? Uh, well, uh, it was. They it was a permanent detail. Uh, one of the questions about the strike was just that uh, they didn't have uh, they didn't have the ability to uh, transfer when they wanted to. They didn't have uh, the ability to get promoted when they'd like to. So uh, there was a few things that the city was watching out for. So they didn't want to take any good spots. If you know what I mean, uh, right. so they detailed us to different places, and uh, after the strike, they said you had to put in to uh, try and uh, try and get a sign somewhere. So you you're at your detail, let's say at engine thirty, and then you get a chance after to put in somewhere. Yes, uh, and so we we talked earlier um, that. You used to change quarters from Engine 30, and you'd always go to busy still districts, and you would catch fires and stuff like that. And I asked you if you said you would change quarters to Engine 117, where you eventually would wind up. And was that kind of? And I know you grew up in that neighborhood. Is that what wanted? Is that what made you want to go out there? I just wanted to go out west because I heard uh, <laughs> I heard that was where the action was. <laughs> You spent your entire career out there too. Right? Oh, I know. Yeah. I could. <laughs> I should have been. Uh, I shouldn't have been promoted, <laughs> but I. But I never was promoted, and, and I didn't study well, so I, I. I have no complaints about that. But uh, everybody wants to go where the flashing lights are, and uh, to be honest with you, I thought that. Uh, I'd be close to where I grew up, and uh, I knew all of the secrets, and it would be a great place to learn my trade. How was that out there? Pretty silly for you. A lot of funny stories, I'm sure. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Well, at one point, you and your brother, Tom, were at 117, right? Yeah, and uh, my brother, Bob, was at Engine 96, which was right at Lake and Waller. But you, at that time, did you and your brother have to be on different shifts? Oh, yeah. Okay. You wouldn't let two Casey boys together on the same <laughs> shift. I mean, and, and it wasn't because they were worried about us getting killed. It's, they were worried about it if we couldn't talk to each other. <laughs> so you get to Engine 117, and any any memorable... Things from right when you got there, it, you know, like how the guy, how were you taken in by the guys? Uh, your your brothers had already been there had already been cases on the fire department. I think uh, what I read between you and your three other brothers over a hundred years with the Chicago Fire Department. Oh, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? 
That's a lot of service. I know, but we're so lucky that the city didn't burn down. <laughs> um, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to be the first to get there. Uh, my brother Bob came on, and uh, he wound up at Engine 90. He was on Truck 29, I believe. Uh, same house, just uh, eight blocks away. And uh, in 1985, my brother Tom came on, and... Uh, I, it was, I, we were all back home was all it really came down to. And uh, uh, they're uh, incredible guys. They're extremely smart uh, uh, tradesmen. Uh, you know, they're, they're the kind of people that you'd like there. And they're also very caring. Uh, my mother taught me, taught us everything we needed to know about the fire department. And that was to be kind and pay attention to uh, what needs to be done. And uh, she spent a, a great deal of her life explaining to us what we needed to know. Well, that must have been a lot of explaining because you're one of seven? Yeah, I'm one of seven. I'm dead in the middle. Yeah. So you had to talk to me twice all the time. <laughs> and But, and, but it, it's, it's just, it's such a, a true fact, you know. Uh, the first one gets the hell beat out of them the most, you know, and the last one doesn't get it much, but... Uh, is, is that what you did to your kids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even want to repeat what no, I did to sorry. my poor children. I'll tell you what, though, they'll write a book someday, and uh, <laughs> thank God I won't be around <laughs> to read it. <laughs> so... So, Mr. Case, you're getting advice from from home. Obviously, you got a couple years in when you get over the West Side. What kind of uh, what, what were those uh, what were those senior guys pushing on to you? What kind of advice were they giving you when you got there? Well, to be honest with you, there was just one guy that had more time than me, and uh, and they spent they sent when you got to 117. You were absolutely. almost the barn boss. But- I just, just I was, I was never the barn boss. I, I find but, that hard to believe. <laughs> well, believe me, they they liked me. They enjoyed my company. But uh, in all honesty, uh, I will say this, and it, uh, somebody would argue with me, but uh, they would be wrong. And that is that uh, Tom O'Donnell was uh, a great leader, a great teacher of the fire department and the fire department service. And uh, Tom didn't think the strike was a good idea. However, uh, he went out on strike and stayed out for the whole time. But when it was over, Tom said it was over. So they sent him a great number of young guys that came on during the strike. And uh, Tom made every one of them good firemen, uh, above all... uh, you know, people like uh, Herbie Johnson that passed away, uh, Billy Spencer, Stevie Karras became a chief. Uh, I, I, I could go on and on. He just, uh, he made people understand the job, love it, and, uh, and do it with the type of enthusiasm that he instilled in us. Well, I know you've been highly critical of the strike and you kind of had bad feelings about how it was handled. Is that that safe to say? Uh, It's a fair statement. You know, uh, we definitely needed to go on strike. 
And uh, and the reason we did was just because, uh, you know, when you're young, uh, you have a fortune. It's every dime that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa put away for you. And uh, that's your fortune. And every dime you could keep on this side of the hardwood. Anyway, uh, that's your fortune. Then you put it down on your castle. And then you'll have to sit down and talk to some gentleman and promise him for 30 years that you will pay for your castle or he will take your fortune and your castle. For that, if I get a job, I need a piece of paper that says I will be reimbursed. All I want to do, I don't need new, uh, a new truck. I need tires for my truck. So when I need tires for my truck, I would like to be in the game. Therefore, if taxes go up and the price of bread and milk goes up, raise my price a little bit, my wage. If it doesn't, you don't have to raise it. That, we had no piece of paper. That strike was very, very important because of a promise that Mayor Byrne made to us. Uh, I would say that as a fire department union, we probably didn't run it terribly properly only because we we were never on strike and uh, it just was a very difficult thing for us. It, it must have been harder for you coming on being brand new during this whole thing. No, the people that taught me to be a fireman said it's time to go on strike, we'll go on strike, I'm going out with you. I was a union person. I just... I just, uh, I, I, I didn't have old feelings about the fire department. I, I only had 18 months on the job. Uh, I was healthy. I had uh, a couple of little kids and a wife, and uh, I, 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 I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that uh, it was harder for me. I, I think in a guy that was 40 years old and had a sick kid, or uh, a guy that was 55 looking at retirement and his wife was sick, I would say that those people had uh, 100% more invested than me and, uh, and old true feelings. What did you do with that time during the strike where you, you stepped out? Oh, I, I did what everybody else did. We stayed on the picket line and we talked and... Uh, one time there was a fire right across the street on the third floor of the Chihuahua restaurant. And uh, myself and my brother were sitting out in front around the barrel with a bunch of lads. And uh, I thought to myself, is that smoke coming out of the third floor of that building? And myself and my brother, my older brother, ran over with the hand pump and we ran up the back stairs and crawled through the third floor and it wasn't there. We crawled back through the second floor and we got to the front and we ran out of water in our hand pump and with that uh, we had torn down the shanty that was in front of the door of Engine 30 and uh, we were trying to get the rig out and the police were telling us it wouldn't be a good idea. And uh, the, the police were preventing you from... They didn't prevent us. They, uh, they, they suggested strongly, but by the same token, they... Uh, knew what had to be done. 
we 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 had a, we had a good relationship with everybody, and with that, uh, uh, the young kids that came on during the strike and uh, the older uh, fellows that were driving them showed up, and uh, the fire went out. That always does. What was that like coming back? Said it was just a walk across the street <laughs> <laughs> from the strike. Oh, coming back? Yeah. Um, it, 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 it was good. Like I said, I, 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 I'm not an old-timer that had a whole bunch of uh, strong feelings. I just, uh, I, I was pretty new, and uh, I was anxious to get back to work at what it was, and uh, there was a lot of strange feelings that uh, a lot of folks had, and... Uh, you know, the only thing we could do is try and make it work, and uh, eventually uh, we found out that uh, uh, we were all lucky back to to be back at work, and uh, we wound up with a lot of stuff that uh, should have been settled long before without an argument. Yeah. Did guys, uh, what was morale a little bit better, or did it seem kind of... Guys... Oh, it was creepy for a while. Yeah. And, and uh, it was... It was creepy for uh, for a lot of folks. You know, I mean, uh, I was never in that spot. I uh, I was one of the fortunate ones who got the opportunity to get on the job. Well, we I'll, had we had Jimmy O'Connell here um, on our last podcast, and he had come on right around the strike and when they went back to work. He said when he got to the firehouse, he had to be vouched for before he could get put into meals. Did, oh, was there, no, was there no, anything like that by you? No, it, Tom O'Donnell ran our house. He was our captain. And Tommy said either we're all eating or nobody's eating. And uh, so, uh, I mean, but there was always questions, but not so much at our house. But when you went to other houses, it was. Uh, those things did happen. And uh, the only thing I can say is that, uh, you know, if you had a house full of 40-year-old guys who had, uh, they had a lot invested in this. This was their life, you know, and, uh, and we needed a contract. And uh, if they felt strong about it, that was their right to feel strong. You know, uh, if it wasn't for unions, we would have nothing if... Uh, if if there's not a group of us to ask for something fair, uh, we won't get it. Uh, unions set non-union wages. If a union guy makes $20 an hour, the non-union guy will make 15 The union guy makes 15 the non-union guy will get 10 If the union guy makes 10 the non-union guy will get 5 It's all... It's, it is relative, you know, and and unfortunately, like I said, you know, uh, if I promise somebody for thirty years I'm going to pay for this house or you can take it, you know, it gets a little bit more important then. Is does are there any memorable fires that really stand out to you? If somebody off the street was to come up to you and say. Hey, tell me about the most memorable fire that you went, or the most memorable thing from your thirty-three year career. What what comes to mind, just off the top of your head? 
Oh, there were wonderful fires. You know what I mean? Uh, I say wonderful, what a silly <laughs> thing. You know, uh, but and they were they were very memorable. Uh, <clears throat> one of the first kisses I ever got was on a church <laughs> stairs that was at uh, Mason and uh, Lemoyne, and we had a fire there in the winter. Oh, and, now your uh, wedding day. And uh, no, it wasn't my <laughs> wedding day. <laughs> that wasn't quite that hot. <laughs> the um, uh, we wound up with a basement. It, actually, it was a uh, it was a basement fire underneath the sacristy of a Lutheran church. That was probably the problem. It was Lutheran, <laughs> and uh, we went down into the basement, and the water was very high, and it was extremely cold, and. Uh, we had put out the fire in the sacristy behind the uh, altar, but when we went down into the basement, we found out where it started, and the altar actually came right through the floor and landed on the pipes above my head, but it drove my helmet over my ears. Uh, I can remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, Did it push you into the water? Oh no no oh. no! I mean that's way too dramatic. But it just <laughs> it just hurt, <laughs> and it drove my neck down into my shoulders. Uh, I can remember. Um... <laughs> Say it. Uh, there was Tell there it. was. Uh, I was working, and there was. Uh, we wound up uh, at uh, was Washington. And I think uh, Parkside. It was a three-story building, and we pulled up, and uh, we had a, a little dark uh, lieutenant, and there was three people, two, uh, a mom and a dad and a little baby on the third floor, and he said, Casey, get him down. So I ran up the back stairs, and it was an enclosed back porches. So I got to the second floor, and it was getting a little shitty, and I went up to the uh, next landing, and broke the window, and it got really kind of dark. So I ran back down, and I decided I could make it up. So I ran past the landing up to the third floor and broke the back uh, kitchen door and wound up in there, and they were right in the uh, kitchen window hanging their heads out. So I looked at them all, and I said, I knew at this point in time, because I looked down and I saw that... Uh, the hose was already full, and engine 96 had gone in the front door. I know that in a couple of moments, it's going to be over. The fire's going to be over. The fire was on the second floor. So I said, give me the baby. I grabbed the baby, and I put it underneath my coat, and I reached around and grabbed back, and I grabbed the hold of the girl's ass behind me. <laughs> And I told the old man, I says, you come with us like that. And we ran right into the pantry. And she, th she says, we're in the fucking pantry. I said, I'm sorry, baby. I says, we'll get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so we broke the window in the pantry, and I took him down the front or the back stairs. When I got down to the bottom of the stairs, it was all over, and I really wasn't a hero at all. <laughs> <laughs> Did <laughs> so, so looking back, I mean, a lot of time, a lot of time you put in the place. You see, you see a lot of changes around the service, like even in tactics. Like anything that kind of sticks out at you that you noticed in the last couple of years. I, I, um, 
we've got too many lawyers in our fire department, and they worry about stuff that um, I'm I, I'm not quite sure about. I I think that uh, our fire service is actually very pure. Tom always said. Uh, you know, you pull up in front, you go in the front door, you pop the door, you pop a couple of windows, you crawl underneath the fire. When you jump into the into the, the, the apartment where the fire is at, it's like, uh, it's like going to the, the lake early in the morning. You can see the fish. As soon as you put your foot down into the mud, the mud comes up, you can't see the fish anymore. If you jump into the room and you're laying on the floor, you can look and you can see from the front of the building all the way to the back. And if there's somebody down, they're never on the walls or ceiling, they're always on the floor. So that's your best shot. Until you disturb that mud that's all between the middle of the, uh, the wall and the ceiling. As soon as I turn the pipe on, I've muddied the waters, the rest is done by hand that slows the process down. Um, the very fact that you could jump in. Today we are so enclosed. Uh, masks, hoods, gloves, boots, bunkers. Your body gets too hot and there is no feedback. I'm not supposed to jump into the fire. I'm supposed to react to the heat. If I cannot feel the heat, I will not be able to react. Just like Wally Lynch told me, where's the heat? I said, it's on the right side of my face. He said, let's go that way. I said, wow, what a brilliant thought. You know, where do you feel it now, Case? It's right on my face. He says, then we're going the right way. You know, this is something that we've lost. Our fires our bread-and-butter fires are put out in five minutes. It's not over in five minutes, but it's knocked. We're starting to throw the shit out the window that was on fire. Uh, we're opening up looking for the extension of the fire, and we're finishing our search. That's in five minutes. If you go in and you're all dolled up and you ain't got anything to feel from the outside, it's almost as though, and you know, these young kids, they walk in through. We crawled everywhere. That's where the action's at. That's where the sight's at. I'm just a little bit afraid that we've, we've lost uh, the thought of what our best opportunity to make a save and to find the fire. Well, you've, you've, you've been, when you started, you've been through the transition from your canvas coat, your three-quarter boots, to the full bunker gear toward the end of your career. Were you resistant on that, and were you, you didn't want any part of it? No, I, 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 don't, I don't resist anything. I just thought that, you know, some of it's stupid. 
Uh, they brought us boots that had hard soles that wouldn't bend. I mean, that's about as dumb as anything I've ever heard in my life. They were slick as shit on the ice. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, that's bad business. You know, get us something that's got a flexible bottom for a shoe, something that I can feel my foot on the surface that I'm walking on. Uh, as far as the three-quarter boots, I thought they were great, and they let your body stay a little bit cooler. Yes, it got hot, but like I said, whenever you go into a fire, you don't say, how bad is it going to get? You say, how long is it going to be this bad? And in all honesty, it's a very short period of time that it's this shitty, and from that point on, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, uh, we're not supposed to go into the oven to get the biscuits out. We're supposed to stand outside, get to the side. When you open up the oven door, let the fucking heat go up. Then bend down and grab the biscuits. <laughs> Don't jump in to get them. Well, maybe you should be down at the academy. Oh, believe me, they don't want what's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> but, but I, but I, 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 but I, I just do. for the biscuit analogy alone, <laughs> I mean, no. it doesn't get any simpler than. It, it's the, there are there are portions of this that are uh, just very common sense. But when you talk to a lawyer, he will ask you every question that is unanswerable. It's like asking you, "Do you still beat your wife?" <laughs> you know. Well, you're going to have to rephrase that because uh, I didn't used to beat her. <laughs> Sound like a guy who's been on the stand before. Oh, I, so, I, I have, as a matter of fact. So 1991 rolls around. Oh, hey, Little we, movie. We're going that, right into it, huh? Oh, oh let's more. do it. So little movie that a couple firemen have heard of before called Backdraft comes out. You got anything on that? Well, 91 is when it came out. When... How did you get approached to do this movie? How did your how'd you get your hat thrown in the ring here? In 1983, we were coming home from a cruise, and I looked a little bit like a cowboy, and I had a nice suntan, and I had a few muscles, and uh, me Pick and up. my wife were coming home from a cruise. We sat down next to this really pretty chick. Anyway, she said, you know, maybe you'd like to try a little advertising. You look like an athlete, you know, uh, there's not a lot of people like you that sign up for this kind of crap. So I went down and I took a couple of pictures and I did a few embarrassing underwear ads and uh, Mr. T came to town and he made a movie called The Toughest Man in the World. Well, I actually have that in my notes here. <laughs> and and, and I, I, uh, I worked for one week and I made more money than I ever made uh, and uh, in a week, and uh, you, you, I made a lot of friends. You did a stunt scene with Mr. T. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they uh, <laughs> they said you got to arm wrestle with Mr. T. I was uh, the largest opponent that they thought that would be good to arm wrestle. So. Was this the, like back when he was doing the the bouncer stuff? No, he was. He had the A team, and uh, he had done the. So this was like the high point 
close oh, to the high point of his career when he was you, doing quite well yeah. at the time. He and and you know what, he couldn't have been nicer. You know, yeah. I, I just can't say it any different. Uh, so they, they put the uh, they said you got to arm wrestle him and you're going to lose. You know, and uh, I said that's all right. You know, could you have taken him though? Well, that's exactly what Jimmy said to me. That's my little boy. He kept holding my head so I couldn't shake it. No, he said you could have beat him, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, but I, I put my arm up there to wrestle, and uh, I got a smile on my face. And the guy said, listen, Case, he said, uh, you know, we chose you because we thought you looked like a worthy opponent. And uh, he said, you know, I got to see some attitude. You're tired, but you're angry, and you're a mean prick, too, you know. And I go, oh, great, you know. So uh, I put the arm up there, and he said, no, no. He says, you don't understand, Case. He says, your mother's going to see just your face on television like she hasn't seen enough of it already. So I said, sure, sure, okay, like that. And they said, Case, if we don't see some attitude, uh, you know, he said, we're going to— we're going to have to get somebody else. So I grabbed a hold of T's arms, and I looked right in his eyes, and I said, I'm going to rip your arm off. And then the director said, we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> too much, too much. Dial back. So at, at, at this time, you're how tall? I was 6'3 um, and a half. 6'3. Probably 220. I, I, was, I, was, I was... You were scary. I was you were... bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so that that was your first exposure to uh, to the movies and and so I went out and I took some classes cuz I had no idea what I was doing. So you you were actually pursuing this. This was something well, that you a road you wanted to go down. Uh, look at when you got five offspring what you have to do is you have to figure out a way to feed them, <laughs> make Mrs. Casey happy and um and uh, it was it was an opportunity that that a lot of people don't get. So I, I went and I took some classes. The very next day uh, we finished, uh, I fell through a floor on Madison Street and I burned up my leg. So I wound up in the hospital and I got a skin graft on my leg and my heel and. Uh, but I got about 10 calls from people that were in the movie business, you know, and they weren't looking to make a star out of me or anything, but they, they gave me a lot of positive feedback. So uh, I did take some uh, classes, and I had some new pictures taken. And when the movie came out, I had an automobile accident, and I broke my hip and put my face through the windshield <laughs> on Sunday after church. So, but every... Every year I would do some work. I mean, I was on the back glass of some pinball machines. Uh, so how did you get? How did you get contacted? Um, did you have to read for backdraft? Oh yeah. So so uh, Jane Just Alderman a cast, called. A casting call? No 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 no. Jane, uh, I, I went to see. Uh, I signed up with Shirley Hamilton. She did a lot of uh, agent. She was in a very very sweet woman, and she said. Well, what do you know? I said, nothing. And she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to make a couple of dollars. I said, uh, she said, well, that's a good idea. And she says, you know, do you have any experience? I said, no. And I said, but I, I promise you, if you send me anywhere, uh, I'll show up on time. I won't embarrass you. And if I make some money, we'll both make some money. She says, well, that sounds like a good idea to me. So she was very sweet. Her and her two daughters 
ran the business. Lynn and uh, oh god, if I remember, now uh, that shouldn't happen. Anyway, um, uh, they they sent me out, and uh, I was going to unload a truckload of pipe that morning, and uh, Jane Alderman met me, and she said I didn't have to read, and. Uh, uh, so you got the part sight unseen? No, 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 no. They liked me, and they sent me. You, you get a, you go out for an audition. The casting agent looks at you. If they like you, they will bring you in, and the people that are important will look at you then, like a producer, or a director. So Ron Howard was there, and uh, Brian Grazier, and. Um, they met me, and I kind of followed up what I was supposed to say the first time. I said, "Hey, could I do that again?" They said, "Absolutely." And uh, do you remember? I, do you remember your line? Oh, I had no. It wasn't the line that I got. I, I got. But do you remember what, what what you had to say in that audition? Did oh that, did, did no, you know, no, 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 no. It was about a. It was, it was, an exchange, and they were talking about the uh, the arsonist, and the arsonist was a person that I knew. Because the arsonist used to stop into Engine 30. Uh, From the movie? No, in real life. Oh. Well, that, that's what I... So go on with that, but I, I, Corey, keep me on track here because I, I, I have to ask him about something. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I can't think of his name right now, but it'll come to me. Uh, and uh, he was a little fellow that burned up his mother in a, a fire. And uh, he was a guy that... Uh, he was really well known. Gosh, I'm sorry, I can't think of it right now. Well, that, that's okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get in any event, that I was quite, uh, I was quite aware of the type of person they were talking about, and uh, Fat Albert was his name. <laughs> Fat Albert, and he would stop in two firehouses, and he, he was just a, he was an oddball, yeah. but uh, he was an arsonist. Anyway, when they brought up the story about about the fellow that was starting fires. I said, you know, I said, this sounds like Fat Albert. You know, and they got a kick out of the fact that I knew who he was, I think. And uh, so, so the Donald Sutherland character in Backdraft was based on this real-life character named Fat Albert. Oh, I, I, I would say uh, loosely. Okay. But, uh, but believe me... Uh, they always told you if you wind up with garbage cans and it set a garage on fire and you show up there, look around. You're going to see the kid that set it. Yeah. That's a fact. Well, were there anybody – was there anybody else that they said this character is actually based on this guy? So since we started the podcast, uh, I've been getting a lot of um, people ask me about uh, Backdraft and they were saying that – some people thought that the Hoff family was loosely. Oh, they they that absolutely. the McCaffreys are absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's a story like that in every fire department. Certainly, every big city fire department. That somebody's little boy wanted to do that, and uh, unfortunately, poor Pa got killed in a fire. Uh, would I say that was uh, after the Hoffs? I won't say that for sure, but I'll tell you what, it sure seems that way a little bit. Did anybody ever talk to you about, you know, who they were basing these characters on? 
No, no, no? not 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 even uh, like just talking around the set or anything like that. No, or... you know what? A fellow named Greg Wyden wrote the story, and uh, he rode with uh, Rimgale for a while, if I'm correct. And, uh, you know, he's like a lot of people. Everybody comes out when there's a fire. You notice how many people are outside watching it? I mean, it's the greatest show on earth. Well, now you can't tell because they all got phones in front of their faces. Yeah, but still, <laughs> they're just looking at the fire on yeah. the film. Yeah. <laughs> they're looking at the back. <laughs> but my thought is, is just that uh, uh, his thought, his vision, if it was wrapped around Chicago, could it have been the Hoffs? Absolutely. Uh, did I have that talk with him? No. And Greg Wyden was very, very straightforward with me. He was a nice guy to talk to. Uh, you could tell he was an author. He, uh, you know, he he liked this story, and uh, and so did we. Uh, I don't. Uh, I I I would never say. I would never put a character to it, but there some similarities. They're definitely there were there were other Chicago firemen in this movie. Was it was it important to them making this that they actually put real Chicago firemen in this movie? I I think that Ron Howard was looking. Uh, I think it was his. Idea. Who were the other Chicago firemen that you can recall? Oh, Cedric Young and uh, Rashar. Lexi, God darn it, I'm sorry, Bashar. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're extremely, they're good, good guys. They're, uh, uh, Rashar wound up finishing up his career near me, and uh, Cedric, uh, Cedric drove one of the busiest trucks uh, in the projects, and uh, Cedric left the fire department to pursue an acting career, and but before all of this, you know, uh, Cedric was an incredible athlete and uh, and an incredible actor before he got on the fire department. So when this took place, I think not he, ironically, right? No, it, it's okay. not at all. He <laughs> was. Uh, I mean, he was around the world in the song of Jacob Zulu. He. Uh, I've seen him in a few plays. I loved everything he did. And Richard Lexi is about as nice a person as I've ever met. He uh, he did a lot of stunt work and a lot of uh, acting here in Chicago, television shows and stuff. And he wound up retiring uh, right out of a firehouse near me. Real, real great eggs, though. So the Mr. T was your first experience. Mm -hmm. Backdraft was your second oh. acting experience. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's let's kind of I actually wrote down your acting history and you tell me a little bit about this. So obviously backdraft you were Nightingale. Mhm. Mm Did you have any input on that name or was that No. Okay. <laughs> what was what was that like? Just just the whole thing. Oh, and summarize who, who, who did you have any input on you wearing the gold gym shirt all the time? And no, they a, just that gave was that stuff to me. You know, yeah. Like I said, I, I was I was a big, strong young guy, uh, and uh, you know, there's there's a Joe like that in every firehouse. <laughs> there's always a big guy. You there's keep always that shirt? a funny guy. No, I don't even. Oh, you should have 
<laughs> That's all right. The uh, but I mean, uh, there's 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 a, a big guy. There's a funny guy. There's a great cook. There's a sarcastic prick. Yeah, there's, there's a, smart a guy, guy that can fix anything. And, and that's the way firehouses I'll, I'll are. I'll tell you what. I, I think you just described me. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm all of those things. I, so at, at the end of the day, how like did you? Was it great experience? You had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, I, you're, it was, you're not going to say anything bad about anybody. No, but. no, no. <laughs> it, it it absolutely was about as nice a thing that could ever happen to a young guy. What was it like when you? I'm sure you ended up watching the movie afterwards, right? Oh, you know, we had a, um, my family is uh, quite colorful. We rented a theater at the Norge. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, at the Norge Theater, and we did it on a Sunday morning, and we took everybody out to uh, to lunch that came to it. But we filled the theater, and uh, I was four bucks a piece to get in, and we brought everybody and took them out for lunch and drinks afterwards, and uh, it, 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 Truly was amazing, but if Ron Howard puts his name on—he didn't put his name on my resume—but if he chooses you to work in a motion picture that has that type of play, whenever you go out for an audition after that, people take a second look at your resume. You know, they don't just look at the picture. So I made a few movies after that, and uh, well, I actually some have, television. I actually have the list here. Oh. Um, so after Backdraft, you did Gladiator. Yeah, you were a, a collector, right? Oh, and myself and uh, Tony, Fitzpatrick. Tony Fitzpatrick. Right, yeah. I I I, re I remember that, and it took me. I mean, I must have seen that three more times before I figured out that Tony Fitzpatrick and you were the two guys going to collect the money. From the, from the kid's father, yes. um, do you remember that movie, Corey? The, not the this is the it's gladiator where he was Cuba Gooding, Robert. Yeah, where uh, he was a boxer uh, in Chicago, and his dad was a bust out, and he his dad owed the bookie, so he just left town and he went and fought Brian Dennehy. Yeah, remember Brian Dennehy puts yeah. his head down. He's like, "This is the hardest part of the, you don't remember that." <laughs> no. All right, sorry, I, that was in '92. All right, and then you. We're in Mo Money. Oh, with the Wayan Brothers. With the oh, Wayan Brothers, man. you were Lloyd. I've seen that one. Yeah, have you really? Th oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> yeah, you know. You didn't see Gladiator, but you saw Mo Money? Yeah, Come well, you know. <laughs> All right. Then we go into uh, Untouchables. Oh, yeah, I you did were, a few You were of a those. doorman in Untouchables. I did three Untouchables, a couple of uh, uh, early editions. Yeah. I did a, a show called Angel Street. That was right... Uh, and uh, oh, the, well, what happened with Angel Street is it, it, it ran out of its season. There was a real pretty Polish girl and Robin Givens were supposed to be a couple of female cops. And um, anyway, it, it seemed like it. Uh, I was I had kind of an open-ended spot there, and the director really liked me. I thought that'd be that might have been nice, but. Well, in 96, you go on to uh, Amanda. You play Dougie in Amanda. Oh, you yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Okay. And in 97, you, you, <laughs> you're an attacker in a movie called Fever Lake. Oh, God, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, the guy said, can you swing an axe? I said, yes. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> you came to the right guy. Yeah. It was uh, a horror movie. Well, uh, and in 2011... 
the guy's book club, you play Sonny. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah, I was, I was another prick. <laughs> but I was the prick of the week on Walker, Texas Ranger, well, we're, too. We're just going to save that one because that one's <laughs> close to Steve's heart. And me and Corey have been getting text after text, making sure that we talk to you about that. So we're, <laughs> we're going to get to that. Uh, in 2011, Redemption, you were a father in Redemption. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Rules of Luck, you played Kevin. So that that's what well, I have as your, heart, as sure. your your IDBM or whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever that's called. <laughs> so let's get on to uh, a question by Steve Hurling, or it, not a really a question, but he said, "Make sure you ask him about being on Walker Texas Ranger, where you fought Chuck Norris." Oh, yeah, and yeah. just it, like, uh, and I don't want to interrupt the again <laughs> another first that we got here, I, I, like the first time we're talking to a person who's ever kicked Chuck Norris's ass. But I, uh, you know what, just, just so everyone knows, Steve having a baby coming soon, he got all locked up and he, he was really upset they couldn't make it out. Yeah. Um, I know we were, we kind of talked on the phone a little bit, all three of us. For all we know, she could be having the baby as we speak. Because yeah. they, they were going to, come hell or high water, the baby was being delivered on Monday. And so he's, he's knee deep in uh, God bless you too. Oh, I'll um, tell you a story yeah. about the babies. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yeah, that, ba- that, got, baby, got that baby. That baby right. pushes till so, Monday. It'll be tell us about yeah, babies. Our first offspring, uh, Daniel Michael. Uh, you know, this is our first baby, and of course, uh, when the whole idea about having a baby said, uh, you know, so what should we do? Oh well, my wife said, well, mate, you should take my temperature. I said, listen, baby, as we're going up to the lake, I'll see you once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. If you ain't pregnant by then, I said, we'll take your temperature. <laughs> so anyway, she wound up all knocked up like she did. And I tell you what, we were doing really well. And it was getting really close, and she was supposed to have the baby in about three weeks, and we went up to Twin Lakes. And anyway, she says, Kev, she says, I'm not sure if the water broke. And I said, it was on a Sunday. We're all going to go out to Andre's for dinner. I said, well, it's okay, baby. I said, I'll take you home. So I had to top down on the convertible, and I said, we'll just take a ride down uh, Route 31 just in case, because Route 12 is always jammed up. So anyway, we're driving down 31, and uh, the panes are like four minutes apart, and this stuff is rushing out of her all over the front seat of the convertible. And I said— Is it that Cadillac? No, it was an Oldsmobile. So I said, uh, the road warrior. So I said, D— I said, uh, what do you think? And she says, you know, Kev, I don't know if it's if it's pee. You know, the baby might be sitting on my bladder. I said, well, give me her underpants. So she gave me my her underpants, and I'm driving, and I'm timing the, the pains, and they're coming really quick and really strong. Anyway, the police pulled us over. So the copper comes up there, and, of course, I'm half beamed up because I've been <laughs> up at the lake all day. What do you do when you go to the lake? <laughs> So the copper says to me, he says, okay, he says, you got your driver's license. I give it to him. Um, I said, listen, I said, uh, my name's Joseph. This is Mary. I said, can you tell us where Bethlehem is at? And he says, that's real funny. And so I looked at him and he says, "Uh, tell me about the underpants. So I gave them to him. I said, did this smell like pee to you? Anyway, he handed them back to me without sniffing them at all, you know, and he said, just get in the back of the rig here and I'll take you to the hospital. 
So we had the baby in uh, Sherman Hospital rather than Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what did you leave Chuck Norris? What did he walk away? What sustainable injuries did he have oh, after I, you I did really, work I on I jacked him? him up something terrible. <laughs> Poor Chuck didn't have a break. I, I just want you to know how sweet he was. You know, I go out there, and I, uh, I, I'm thrilled. I'm on, I'm on an airplane going to do a job, you know, and I've never been like this. You know, everything I ever did, you could take the bus to. So I'm out there flying first class out to there, and, and I wind up out there, and I said, uh, you know, I, I, I'm here. My name's Kevin. Ke oh, thank you so much for coming, Kev. You know, it's a, you know, when I go to wardrobe first and then we'll send you, would you like to go to the set? So I wind up in wardrobe. And for some reason, I don't always wear underpants. And I wind up <laughs> with three chicks in a room that's eight by eight. And they're giving me a shirt to try. I got the shirt. And all of a sudden, they said, so we got some pants for you. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> So I take my pants down. I swear to God, if there was three girls in there, there was 12 pairs of hands on me, and two of them weren't mine. <laughs> anyway, so Thanks for you. I, I said, no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing experience. So anyway, I said, okay. I said, I would like to go out to see the set. So they take us out to the set, and here's Chuck Norris and... Uh, his partner, and they're all painted and polished up, and he stops what he's doing. He says, Kevin, thank you so much for coming out. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, thank me, thank you, you know. And uh, I, I, I had a wonderful experience. I, I worked with a couple of stuntmen that were hysterical. Uh, the stunt woman that she was a little Asian chick, she was fantastic. I... I, I we sang late at night in the hotel as loud as we could. And I, I just, I, it was a wonderful experience. And uh, anybody that's ever met a guy like that, uh, you know, and he, he, he was a fighter. He's the real oh, deal. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he was. And, uh, but just, uh, <laughs> I never had a bad experience on one of these. Well, are you ready for a couple questions from Absolutely. from the interwebs? Oh, sure, whatever. All I right. Got to so, say. from Matt Eight Williams from our Instagram, uh, I think we covered how did you get into acting, and he wants to know how did you balance that with the schedule at the firehouse. Well, first of all, if you ever get lucky enough, as I did, to get a job like that, I'm going to tell you what backdraft kind of changed everything for me. When, uh, when I got the opportunity to do backdraft, the big thing about it was it was tied very, very closely to the Chicago Fire Department. So they right away gave me a leave of absence uh, to do the job. And uh, they were very, very positive about whatever might happen after that. But at the end of the day, if, uh, if you wind up doing a movie, so, say, for instance, uh, I did backdraft. I was off for four months. I didn't get paid from the fire department for four months, and uh, I, I got paid from the, the movie company. When I did uh, Gladiator, I worked for three solid weeks. So I got paid for three solid weeks from the, uh, the film company, and... 
I just picked, they picked the days that I could have off to shoot the scenes that I needed to shoot. When I did uh, Mo Money, it was seven weeks. So for seven weeks, uh, they owned me. They knew I was a fireman. They were happy to have me, and uh, I could either change a day to wind up working if I had to work two or three days in a row. And and they were very, very understanding about it. And, uh, of course, uh, you know what? If you're on the fire department, you get along and you do stuff for people that uh, you work with, they'll do anything for you. Well, this question comes from uh, Beth Lambert, who would have been oh, I know Beth, Beth Lambert at the time. Um, she wants to know how many coffee mugs from 117 are in your house at this time. Tell her they're right next to the diapers that I didn't take out when my kids were little. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little over 100. <laughs> okay, so 117, you know where your mugs are. Um, Bryce Myers asks, did you really think Brian was dead when you stepped on him in that garment factory? No, I didn't think he was dead. I just thought he was laying underneath me. I thought he should get up and help. Because <laughs> people were people were posting that quote on social media. Sorry, kid. I thought you was dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and he said, um, "Who do you think would have won that fight between uh, the McCaffreys?" Well, uh, in the in the hospital room, that when you, when you I, broke it up, I, I believe you were the one who broke it up. I will tell you that. Uh, Kurt Russell was uh, was a uh, uh, Kurt Russell was quite an athlete. You know, we got a chance to go out and play ball, and uh, Kurt Russell, if I'm correct, he uh, played some semi-pro baseball. He was quite an athlete, uh, but Billy Baldwin uh, did some college wrestling. So uh, the only thing that is true is that I am glad I didn't have to be in the middle of them. But to be honest, which I think I'd have slept on both. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see, the guys at Engine 54, um, they're all studying for the lieutenant's exam right now. They're so not studying. They, uh, <laughs> they, they found the time to uh, ask you a few questions. They said, uh, did you ever correct them on anything when they were doing the movie when it came to the firefighting stuff? Did you? And they wanted me to put in quotes, did you tell them that they were doing it wrong? No. You know what I said? You know, the truth is, is, you know, I'm looking at all of this orange fire all around me. And the only thing I said was that, you know, if you were ever on the pipe in a fire, I said, you know, you could do this whole thing on radio like we're doing it now because there's nothing to see. <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, uh, they spent a ton of money on on. I, there was a lot of things, you know, like uh, just swinging an axe at nothing. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, they give you a tool, you better use it. You know, everybody's got a pecker. You know, you understand how this works. <laughs> you know, if your zipper's down, for heaven's sakes, do something. Pee or put it away. So my thought is, is just this, and that is that uh, I, I do understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, uh well, they, we we all we all go to a fire, and uh, sometimes uh, we put the ladder to the roof, and we don't open the roof. But your job is done. Uh, they're trying to 
to give us a lot of action. And uh, like I said, uh, they looked at a noble profession and they wanted it to look that way. And they wanted to explain a little bit about what corruption might look like or nepotism in the city of Chicago. And that's all. They, they, uh, they, they, they made a, a, a nice movie about a noble profession. And uh, uh, I can't rewrite Hollywood. I had enough trouble with my own neighborhood. They, they wanted to um, ask you what your favorite part of the movie was. You know what I thought was great? I I I, I thought it was great to uh, to notice that uh, you know if you went to a uh, uh, retirement party, I thought that looked pretty good. And uh, do I understand that uh, sometimes somebody gets a little bit out of hand and uh, things happen? Well, I think that yeah, was the, the first fight you broke up in the movie, right? Uh, I tried to, and then uh, and you know, to be honest with you, one of the stuntmen said, "Hey, keep your hands off me." I says, "Hey, I, 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 I don't know what to do here." I, Spirit gets inside me. I can't this, control this. <laughs> this is really not my game, you know. And uh, but the the sweetest part was actually to look at uh, the reverence of the uh, of the funeral, and uh, I thought that was pure and uh, done extremely well. I, I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the movie too. Um, when you guys are marching down the street and you're all dressed up and you're going down that, that there's a great shot of you in that movie, in that, that, that whole scene. They gave me close-ups that a real actor would really, really die for, which was, which was, and every one of those is a gift. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a real actor. I'm uh, just a guy who had an opportunity to do these things. And when you... When you look at them, uh, other guys would say, "Oh my God, do you see what they gave you?" And you know, at the at the end of the day, I do realize what they gave me. If I was somebody important, it would have been more important. But uh, but it it is it is a fact. Well, it's, so this question comes from Zach uh, Fichter, who says that he got to your house. And this is his, his quote, that he was going through some shit and everybody had recommended, go talk to Kevin. You know, go oh, talk I to Kevin. I always got an answer. <laughs> um, but he asked, how do you maintain a badass, quote unquote, attitude and have the biggest heart on the fire department? And then he explains that he was going through some shit. You helped him out. You, you, you guys must have talked it out, but... Well, I, I will tell he you this. That question First of all, Zach, um, if you sit across from me, I'm not going to let you alone. And uh, what, I, what I, I believe about our job, which is the sweetest part of our job, is, is that, you know, you're going to get all kinds of sarcasm. You're going to get all kinds of smart-ass remarks. But at the end of the day, uh, if there is a problem, uh, I will see you at some time, not me. Somebody will sit across from you, and when they hear your problem, they're not going to blab it to somebody else. They're just going to say, you know, I have a kid that's fouled up. I have a mom that's sick. I have a brother that's having a, a problem. And, and that is who we are. And uh, 24 hours is a long time to be near somebody. 
And in that 24 hours, you do get the opportunity to sit in somebody else's skin for a period of time. Uh, and I ain't that tough. Well, there are tons of people out there um, who would uh, disagree with you on that. And like I was telling you at the bar next door before we came in here, uh, you we kind of put it out last minute that you were coming here, mm. and, which I am so grateful and it's just amazing. You were on the list of people to get in here and to come in here under those circumstances. Um, everybody, it, it, our social media blew up with people sending in stories of, you know, for me. Silly shit. Silly shit. Well, of course, silly shit. I mean, you know, that's kind of, we kind of live in that space. Yeah, those yes, are we do. But um, I think, you know, the real Kevin Casey is far more interesting, far more colorful than the character in Backdraft and that experience. You know, what people don't realize is that whole Backdraft part of you is such a small part of everything that I, I hear. You know, I've worked in that, I've worked at 117 a couple times and I remember seeing that pic. There's a picture of you. I don't know if you remember it. You're I think you're on the ladder and you have your helmet, but it has no brim. Oh, there's not much of it. <laughs> Is that your original helmet? Oh, the, no, the, no. I gave I, this kid came in and he wanted to use my leather helmet to put on his. Uh, his uh, Do you know the picture I'm talking about? You're, I think you're on the turntable and you're, you have this helmet on. And I've never seen it. It has no brim. I, think, I don't even think it has a back. And it's just an amazing picture. Well, believe me, I think that's the one that's on my uh, thing at home, my china cabinet. Um, but believe me, there's a whole lot of tougher people than me, and we 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 wound up. Uh, the number one thing was is we were fortunate enough to. Uh, have the opportunity to grow up together and know each other and and truly love each other. Uh, the day that uh, that my mother died, we had a, a black uh, captain there, and he was supposed to straighten us out. <laughs> he showed up and, uh, you know, he walked me around the firehouse telling me, you know, this is what we need to do and that's what we need to do. And the day my mother died, he hugged me like a girl. And for that, I will never forget him. You know, he didn't give me one of those half-ass bump my shoulder. He put his arms around my neck like a girl, and he hugged me. And that's the way this job is done. And that's the way it's supposed to be done. Well, I, I think... You I know think what, I... if. And it's selfish, but um, you know, Mr. Casey, I like I'll I'll never have the opportunity to work with you. There's a lot of great stories I've heard. Is there anything that um, you know? I'm I'm starting out at your firehouse. Is there any advice that you're giving me? Oh, you're um, you're working. Love, you're my barn boss that day. Love our job. 
do our job as hard as you can. Every day when you go to work, you're going to go and you have, you have a small portion of this job. Our job is a team job. You know, if you're supposed to open up, you open up. You go to the rear, you open up the rear. You're supposed to go to the roof, go to the roof, open the roof. You know, uh, you're supposed to put the fire out, make the hydrant, whatever that portion is, that's your job. And today, if God drops a baby in front of you or an old man or an old woman and you drag her out, you do what you're going to do naturally. And at the end of the day, you're going to pull them out and we are all going to celebrate our good fortune. And you today are our hero. And all I want you to know is go into work with a, a smile on your face and understand that everybody that showed up there today is trying to do the same. Uh, whatever crosses we have to bear, whatever things are on our shoulders, uh, that's just what life is. I just want you to understand that uh, you're in there with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that are, uh, that are on your side. And uh, for that, you'll never find too much... You won't find another spot like that because you'll have a chance to shit your pants <laughs> and redeem yourself in the same day sometimes. And whenever somebody says to me, God bless you, I say, he did. He gave me a run and start when everybody was waiting for the gun. Well, you know, in the same context of, you know, some people who uh, don't get the opportunity to have this support system that we have being on the fire department, you know, like you were saying, we have a lot of brothers and sisters and we actually kind of want to put something out for, um, somebody who's close to me that, that needs help. Um, his daughter Finley, um, got, got diagnosed with neuroblastoma. Um, and, uh, so there is a GoFundMe, uh, fighting for Finley. Um, it's my, uh, you know, one of my best friends, uh, Dan Bracken, um, just kind of a, a freak thing. Uh, you know, uh, she got diagnosed with that and, uh, she's back home now. She, um, went through a few rounds of chemo at children's. Uh, there's another friends of ambulance 15, um, commander JD Giovanni kind of put that together. And that was more for, uh, it was starting out as just a, kind of a cancer awareness thing that they were going to make some shirts uh, for Lori Timothy, um, who passed away a year ago. Um, and so they're, they're kind of um, putting it all together for uh, Finley. And um, so those are the two, uh, if, you can guys, if you guys can please help support that. It's Fighting for Finley, uh, GoFundMe, and on GoFundMe, Friends of Ambulance 15. Um, which, ironically enough, is the same firehouse that Mr. Casey's from. And uh, any, uh, I also want to thank um, Brian Clark for actually, you know, uh, helping uh, get uh, Kevin here. Him and Terry Riley, between the two of them, um, kind of put this whole thing together. Um, anything else you got there, Corey? That's it, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you so my, much. It was my pleasure. I, Is there anything uh, you you want to have any final words here? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, just just uh, 
love love what you do. It will show in everything that that uh, if you love what you do, it'll show in and everybody that you serve. And this is our job, which is service. Uh, it will uh, it will shine. Uh, we're only here for a short period of time. Uh, let's try and make it well worthwhile. Okay, and on that note, I think that'll be our. Yeah. Final thought. Yeah, Thank that's you so much again. Um, yeah, and uh, again, um, you know you can find us on uh, Chicago's Bravest Stories. We're on Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. You can find us on social media, Instagram, right? And uh, Facebook, again, Chicago's Bravest Stories. And um, uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. You can download this episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and TuneIn. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys, if you're a first responder or you know a first responder that has a story to tell, we'd love to hear it. Please reach out to us at Chicago's Bravest Stories on Facebook or Instagram. Hey, everybody, it's Steve here. I'd like to talk to you about another awesome company that helps bring the podcast to you free of charge, Chicagoland CPR. It's a first responder owned and operated CPR company. As a first responder myself, I can't express to you enough how important CPR training is for everybody in the community. They offer real customizable world-class education for all their clients. They have a combined 30 plus years of field experience as fire service and EMS educators throughout the Chicagoland area. Chicagoland CPR is extremely focused on providing real world, no fluff education. And the main focus is on organization, an engaged classroom, working with students to completely understand the material, getting your uh, certificates out on time, and most importantly, coming to your facility. They offer a wide variety of American Heart Association classes, CPR, first aid, AED, ACLS, PALS, and a full complement of Star Guard Elite, Lifeguard, and Aquatic Safety classes. Our clients include nursing homes, hospitals, long-term care facilities, fire departments, schools, park districts, coaching staff, and many other groups throughout the communities. If you're interested in hosting a class at your facility for your employees, or you have any questions about services and pricing, contact Chicagoland CPR. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, the World Wide Web. I can't express to you, again, how important CPR and first aid training is. They want to hear from you soon. Give them a call. Find them. Let's set you up a class to help save some lives. Also sponsored by Chicagoland Event Medical Services, we are a first responder, owned and operated first aid and emergency medical service provider. Our mission is to protect the lives and well-being of event patrons all over the state of Illinois by providing professional and experienced career EMS practitioners in an event setting. Our services are completely customizable to the needs of our customers. Our business was born out of a necessity to provide competent health care providers to both large and small events. We do this by bringing firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, nurses, lifeguards, first aid tents. We also customize your own site safety and emergency response plan, and that information will always be available to your staff. We pride ourselves on providing the best patient care possible to your events.